Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about Dawud alayhi salam in Surah Anbiya, ayat 78, 79, and 80. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes him in very beautiful ways. First, Allah ta'ala says, بَعْدَ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَدَاوُودَ وَالسُلَيْمَانِ إِذْ يَحْكُمَانِ فِي الْحَرْفِ إِذْ نَفَشَتْ فِيهِ غَنَمُ الْقَوْمِ وَكُنَّا لِحُكْمِهِمْ شَاهِدِينَ And mention, and remember, when Dawood and Sulaiman السلام, when they judged concerning a field, when the, sh- the sheep of a people overran it at night, and we were witness to their judgment, then Allah says, فَفَهَّمْنَاهَا سُلَيْمَانَ وَكُلًّا آتَيْنَا حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا وَسَخَّرْنَا مَعَ دَاوُودَ الْجِبَالِ يُسَبِّحْنَا وَالطَّيْرِ وَكُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ And we gave understanding of the case to Sulaiman And to each of them we gave judgment and knowledge. And we subjugated the mountains to exalt us along with Dawood and with the birds. And indeed we were the ones doing this. Now, what is this referring to? This is referring to a case in which you had a farmer and a shepherd. The farmer obviously has his crop and the shepherd had his flock. Unfortunately, what happened was that the shepherd's flock got loose at night and consumed the farmer's yield. Since the yield's worth was equivalent to the cost of the flock, Dawood judged that the shepherd must give his flock to the farmer as compensation for the damage. That was his verdict and justice was served. However, Sulaiman heard of the case. He heard of the verdict. And later on, he spoke to his father in private and he had an alternative ruling. He had a different perspective. He said, perhaps it could be the case that the shepherd, you know, he was the one who did the damage. His flock is the one that did the damage, right? Let's get the shepherd to work on the farm for roughly a year. And during that time, he will be able to bring it back to the status that it used to be having all the you know, fruits or vegetables or whatever the case is, let him work on it for a year until the point that it is as full and as fresh as it used to be. And during that year, the farmer instead will tend to his flock and will benefit from their milk and from their wool and from their babies during that time. And then after that year is done and after the yield has been full and comes back fully, then they could switch back. This was the opinion of Sulaiman salam. And guess what? Dawood accepted his opinion and said, you know what, that is a better verdict. And Allah Ta'ala said, what? فَفَهَّمْنَاهَا Sulaiman, That we gave Sulaiman even more understanding. What can we learn about this? What are some of the lessons here? Well, the first lesson is about knowledge. SubhanAllah, it's amazing that these ayat mention many blessings. If you keep going further and further, you'll find that these ayat mention blessings that came to both Sulaiman and Dawood. Dawood and Sulaiman and yet Allah Ta'ala begins with what? With fahm, with ilm, with hukm. All different forms of understanding and knowledge and authority. And which goes to show what? That of all the different blessings you can have, knowledge is right at the top of the list. Because that's the where, where Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala places it. Right at the top of the list. Knowledge and understanding of your deen is the most important. And it's amazing because ilm is what? Ilm is to know the facts of the case. Hukum is to have the confidence and the authority to actually give a judgment, which obviously if Dawood is a prophet, he has that authority. And faham is to understand the facts and to know how to proceed in the most appropriate way. And the verb fahamna, tafhim, implies a level of extra understanding, as opposed to ifham, afhama yufhimu, ifhaman, which means what? To make someone understand. So 
Allah Ta'ala made Dawud understand the situation. But when Allah says, this implies what? That Sulaiman was given an extra degree of knowledge. The wording is very precise. Furthermore, we should take this advice very seriously. Which is what? When a disagreement occurs, you have to assess the situation and ask, number one, what are all the facts? Who has the ilm? Who knows all the facts? Number two, who is the best at solving the case, the best detective that can judge between us and figure out the situation? That's faham. And then of course, who has the authority to actually give a ruling that will stick, that will be accepted by the people? Who has the hukum? And so these are the three factors that you want to look into. So this ayah is teaching us so much in terms of knowledge. What other lessons do we learn? We learn lessons about family. We know that most rulers, unfortunately, they have a huge ego and wouldn't allow some young person to, to try to question their verdict, especially their own family, their own son. Hey, be quiet, don't talk. Yet, subhanAllah, we see that Dawud listened to his son. So we have to ask ourselves a very important question. Do we listen to our kids when they disagree with us or do we dismiss their perspective before even hearing them out? A further point is what? From the perspective of the son, Sulaiman wasn't being rude or aggressive in presenting his suggestion. Why? Because he had respect. Respect for Dawud because Dawud number one, is his father. Number two, is the leader of the people. And number three, a prophet of Allah. So clearly, respect is necessary when offering an alternative perspective. And we should all remember that it is every father's dream to see that their child is going to exceed them in knowledge. It should be every father's dream and every parent's dream to see their kids exceed them in all aspects of life. And one of the most distasteful and horrible qualities that we can ever witness is to see parents who are jealous of their child's success. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I believe I have on certain circumstances, not commonly, but every once in a while, you'll see a parent who is jealous of his child's success. Na'udhu billah, may Allah protect us. We should remember the very beautiful quote from Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, who made a statement not even about family, but he was just making a general statement. He said what? He said, I've never debated with anybody except that I hope that Allah would reveal the truth on his tongue. In other words, he said, I always wish to lose the debate. Why was he saying this? Because obviously, if you debate with someone and you win all the time, that means you're always debating with people who can't teach you anything, you're always teaching them, so you never learn. But if you debate with people who are more knowledgeable than you, and they teach you something, and they prove you wrong, you're learning every single time. Imam Shafi'i was making this statement in general. I think we should allow this statement to apply even more to our kids. Why? Because how beautiful is it if you have various perspectives and then your kids can teach you something? How proud would you be to know that your kid has been raised so well that he can now teach you something and he is now exceeding you in knowledge? This is a great blessing. So yeah, we're learning lessons about knowledge. We're learning lessons about family. But we're also learning a beautiful lesson in this story about disagreement. There are levels of understanding. Life isn't always black and white. There can be many levels, excuse me, many layers to a right answer. In this story, we're learning that just because you believe your opinion is valid, is the most valid, it doesn't mean that the other person's opinion has no validity whatsoever. We have to respect the fact that, look, I may think that your opinion is weaker than mine, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing good about it. And so this story is teaching us that subtlety and that nuance. We should notice that Dawud and Suleiman neither of them called each other a zindiq or a fasiq or a kafir or a mubtadir or whatever other terms. You're a deviant, you're a disbeliever, 
you're wrong, you're you know, evil, you're trying to destroy this dean. None of them had any of these comments towards one another because of a difference of opinion. Now, let me be clear. There is a time and a place for harsh language. Sometimes that does apply. Unfortunately, that's the sad reality of the world. There are sometimes people say things that are, let's say, disbelief or whatever the case is. This can happen. That being said, though, these harsh labels should not be present with every single disagreement. Sometimes you can say, look, I disagree with you, but I still respect you and I respect your opinion. And I think there's good in your opinion, but I think my opinion's better. This is what we're learning from this. We know that the Prophet said what? That when a judge gives a decision and he tries to give his best verdict, he really worked hard to get his best verdict. If he gets it right, he gets two rewards. And if he gets it set wrong, then he still gets one reward. This goes to show what? That even if you're incorrect, don't hate the person. Don't think the person is evil. Rather recognize that Alhamdulillah, this person tried their best, maybe they were wrong. All of us can be right sometimes and wrong at other times. None of us are infallible. Unfortunately, we see quite commonly in the Muslim community around us, some people who will say things like, I disagreed about an issue in our community. There was a disagreement and we began to discuss the matter. But it wasn't worth my time going back and forth and debating. This isn't worth my time. If, if, if these people were truly righteous, they should be on the same page all the time. They should agree with one another. There shouldn't be so much debate and discussion. That's why I don't like to get involved in community affairs. Some people have this attitude, unfortunately. Let's get back to reality. Let's recognize just how false this assumption is. I'm going to ask a very simple question. If you can find differing opinions amongst prophets who are from the same family, then what about people like you and me? What about us? I'll say that again. If you can find disagreement amongst prophets who are from the same family, then what about us as a community? Of course we should expect that it's par for the course. That's natural that we're going to disagree at times. We're going to have to debate it out. We're going to have to talk it out. And that's okay. Instead of getting frustrated and saying, oh, they're debating all the time because they're a bunch of deviants and they, they, you know, they're not upon the truth. And subhanAllah. This is part of the process, brothers and sisters. Let's be part of our community. Let's support our community even when we disagree, even when it gets difficult. It is a quality of hypocrisy. It is a quality of nifaq, unfortunately, when people reject the Qur'an and Sunnah the moment it disagrees with them. They have their opinions. I think I'm right. You bring Qur'an and Sunnah, I reject it. And yet, those same people, unfortunately, quite interestingly, the moment that the Qur'an and Sunnah agrees with them, they're quick to quote. Is this because I say so? No, rather Allah Ta'ala mentions this. When Allah says, And when they are called to Allah and His Messenger, that's the Qur'an and the Sunnah, to judge between them, at once you see a party of them refusing, turning away. And yet at the same time, But if the right is on their side, if they are correct, then they, are, they will come to the Prophet and they will come to you, what? promptly and obediently. SubhanAllah, how sad is it that sometimes when the Qur'an and Sunnah doesn't agree with us, oh, I don't want to hear that stuff, I don't, oh, whatever, I don't want to hear, well, you know, don't quote to me these things. And then yet, the moment their rights are violated and they can quote Qur'an and Sunnah, وَقَالَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانُ وَتَعَالَى وَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ SubhanAllah, the person becomes a shaykh all of a sudden. This double standard is no good. So we're learning lots of lessons from this first story. Then Allah Ta'ala says something very interesting. And we subjected the mountains to exalt Allah Ta'ala along with Dawud and the birds. This is a very interesting quote. What is the lesson that we're learning here? That Dawud would escape from his normal routine. Dawud would go out 
into the creation of Allah, surround himself by nature, to worship Allah in a new environment. Maybe we need to take that advice every once in a while. Maybe we need to escape and walk away from our typical enclosed environment and get some fresh air, be outside, and praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and reconnect and recalibrate ourselves. What does it mean? What does it mean that the mountains would join in the tasbihat, that they would join in the worship? Well, we know that the Prophet there were times where he would pick up even pebbles, and the pebbles would join in in tasbihat, as reported by Abu Dhar. That he mentions that there were pebbles placed in front of the Prophet They were in front of the Prophet So he took them in his hand And they began to glorify Allah Ta'ala while in his hand So if this can happen with the Prophet Something so miraculous We can only imagine what it must have looked like And what the scene must have been With these mountains and birds reciting And glorifying Allah Praising Allah Perhaps he was reciting the Zabur Reciting his revelation Perhaps he was just making tasbihat and glorifications Allah Alam But the point is that they were all joining together And then Allah Ta'ala mentions something very interesting the third verse, ayah number 80 of Surah Anbiya. Allah says what? وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ صَنَعَةَ لَبُوسٍ لَكُمْ لِتُحْسِنَكُمْ مِنْ بَأْسِكُمْ فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ شَاكِرُونَ Allah says, and we taught him the fashioning of chainmail or coat armor, coats of armor, to protect you from the enemy in battle, so will you not be grateful. What are we learning here? The lesson here is that Dawood was a blacksmith. Specialization isn't being materialistic, it's rather prophetic. Let me say that again. Having a specialization, being good at your field, being good at your job, even if it's in the secular realm, being specialized is not materialistic, rather it is prophetic. How do we know this? Because Dawud and all the Anbiya, they wouldn't just worship and pray, they wouldn't just pray day and night, making rukur and sujood day and night, day and night, no, they would work. They would do different jobs. And in this case, Allah Ta'ala is highlighting the fact that he was a specialist in his field. He invented something that was never produced prior to that. A whole new revolution in the whole concept of armor. So this is a blessing. It's teaching us what? That we should aim for excellence in whatever craft we do. Prophets didn't just pray day and night. They would work in their field of expertise because work is worship. We should aim, we, we, we shouldn't aim for low expectations or have low expectations within our work life, thinking that this makes us more pious. Rather, we should excel and we should have excellence in all fields because this is what Allah Ta'ala wants from us. And furthermore, another lesson that we learn from this beautiful ayah is what? That Dawud was making armor, which is in no way reducing his concept of tawakkul. Tawakkul means to rely upon Allah. Having armor is not reducing your tawakkul. It's perfectly valid to put on armor before you go to battle. Because taking precaution is part of tawakkul. Wearing armor isn't a lack of bravery, because as the saying goes, courage is the midpoint between cowardice and recklessness. So, I mention all this, but there is a big question that I hope those of you who are paying attention have on your mind. It should be a big question in your mind. What is that question? The question should be, and I hope if you're paying attention, you know what this question is, what is the connection between these three points? You see, if you guys don't walk away with anything else today, my point is one thing. Take the Qur'an seriously. Stop reading the Qur'an like it's just passive information. Take the Qur'an seriously. Allah Ta'ala in three ayat is telling us about Dawud Point number one, Dawud adjusted his verdict when he, when he found out that his son had a better verdict. 
That's the first story, right? And we had various lessons that we can learn from that. Beautiful. Point number two. You have a new scene. Now he is no longer in the scene of this, you know, uh, judge position. Now he's in the position of what? He's out in nature. Glorifying Allah Ta'ala and joining in are the mountains and the birds. Why mountains and birds? Why not the lions and tigers and bears, right? Why not something else? Why? Why specific to that? And what does that have to do, this idea of glorifying and praising Allah with the mountains and with the birds, what does that have to do with the verdict he, was, he adjusted because his son had a better verdict? What do these two stories have to, in common? Why are they back to back? Next question. And then Allah Ta'ala says, and by the way, he also made chain mail because Dawud had the miracle that he could make iron soft in his hands and he could formulate these ring after ring after ring and then make chain mail from it. What does chain mail have to do with glorifying Allah with the mountains and with the birds? What does glorifying Allah Ta'ala with the mountains and the birds have to do with this verdict that he gave with his son and that he adjusted? Are all of these just arbitrary facts? Do we take the Qur'an seriously? Brothers and sisters, we live amongst non-Muslims. We are supposed to be offering guidance. At work, you're supposed to go to your coworker and say, hey, here's a copy of the Qur'an. Read it. It is guidance. He says, okay, you say it's guidance. I came across these verses. It's telling me all these facts about Dawud What's the point? What is the, what's, the, what's the story here? Okay, he had a verdict, and then his son had a better one. Then he's out praising Allah Ta'ala with the mountains and with the birds. And then after that, he's making chain mail. What's, what, what is all this? Are these arbitrary facts? You as a Muslim, wallahi, I have no idea. Why? Because I've been reading this, memorizing this, talking about this day, week, month, year after year, and I don't pay attention. This, if you don't come away with anything else, you know, we got this uh, new year coming up, right? Not that this is a big deal for us, but still, if some people, they say, you know, oh, I want to make a resolution. First of all, you can make a resolution whenever you want. You can, you can make a resolution any minute and just say, I make the resolution, I'm going to be a better person. But let's say theoretically, say, okay, new year, you know, 2023 is coming up. I want to make a resolution. Okay, if that's what you want, just as a personal matter, why not make the resolve, have the resolve, have the determination to take the Qur'an seriously. Make this a year, a year of contemplating the Qur'an. I see a lot of people holding their faces thinking, what does these things have to do together? Good, that's what you should be thinking. Treat every ayah of the Qur'an like this. Treat every story of the Qur'an, put these things together and say, what is Allah Ta'ala telling me? You know, so long as you have the humility to say, listen, I don't know 100%, but here are some ideas, here are some thoughts. This is a good thing, right? Obviously, if you stand up and say, oh, I know 100% Allah means and intends this, then okay, now we have a bit of an issue, right? You don't want to have that sort of arrogance. But are we allowed to contemplate? Are we allowed to hypothesize? Are we allowed to think about these things? Of course we are. So long as you associate that with some humility. Why don't you contemplate the Qur'an? Think about these things. So inshallah ta'ala, hopefully I'll help you out in the second khutbah, and I'll offer some perspective on this matter that might help. So, the big question. You got the first story of Dawud He's with his son, he gives a verdict, and then he adjusts it because his son had a better verdict. Have you guys ever heard the expression, be stubborn about your goals and flexible in your methods? It's a very nice quote. Be stubborn in your goals. When you have a goal, you should be stubborn towards that goal. Certain principles, you don't compromise. I'm moving towards a goal. I have to get to that goal. Now, be flexible in your method. This story is exemplifying that in a beautiful way. Why? Because Dawud has a certain goal, which is what? Justice. I have to create justice. And so he gave a certain verdict. And then his son comes and says, listen, I too have the same objective of justice. That is uncompromising. That is firm. It is fixed. We can't compromise on justice. However, I have a different method to it. And so he's flexible in his approach. That's the first point. And this, by the way, 
knowing the difference between the principles that cannot be compromised versus certain traditions that can be updated, knowing the difference, this is what fiqh is all about. This is what understanding your Islam is all about. I'll give a simple example. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, did they have lights like we have lights today? No. They probably had what? Maybe candles, maybe torches, whatever the case is. Nowadays, this is something we've updated. What about this salt? What about this uh, microphone? Right? Do they have microphones? No. This is something we've updated. Okay, you know what? When I go and start the salah, when we pray salah, instead of reciting Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, why not say it in English? We're in America. Let's update. Say, all praise due to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. Can we update that? No. You guys are getting my point? Some things, flexibility. Other things, rigidity. This is understanding fiqh. This is what we need to do. What are our goals and what things can be pliable or malleable? So that's the first point. Now, what's about the second story? In the second story, you find that Dawood is reciting and glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with mountains and birds. What, do, what does a mountain represent? A mountain represents it's the biggest symbol of rigidity, something that is fixed, something that won't move. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them as pegs, pegs that prevent the world from shifting. This is how Allah Ta'ala describes the mountains. Something that keeps the whole world in place so it won't shift. So a mountain represents what? Rigidity. What does a bird represent? Birds represent what? Complete mobility. Birds can fly in the sky. They can walk on the land. They can even swim in the water. I'm sure you guys see ducks out there, right? Sometimes you see ducks and they go and they get some fish. SubhanAllah. Hence the expression what? Free as a bird. Free as a bird. Full mobility. And what does making tasbih and glorification, what does that represent? It represents a person who has the ability to, ability to what? Harmonize, to create a chorus, to recite so beautifully that everything is together. So what is this representing? This is a demonstration, a physical demonstration of what? Of harmonizing between rigidity and flexibility, all for the sake of what? Glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is harmonizing, he is reciting, he is uh, praising in a way that is harmonizing between what? These two things that represent rigidity and flexibility, which is perfectly in line with the, star, with the story prior to it. And what about the third story? Chainmail. Well, we know that prior to the invention of chainmail that was introduced by Dawood, Dawood there was two main methods that people would fight. Either they would shirtless, you know, paint on themselves, Full mobility, free. I can move around with my sword and my bow and arrow. I got free mobility. Or maybe just a shirt, whatever the case is. But obviously no protection. And then other people would have what? Plated armor. You guys know those big plated armor? The guy could barely move. He's kind of stuck. He's very, very, very low on mobility. Very high in protection. Subhanallah, how amazing. That chain mail is something that Dawood brought and, 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 and brought to humanity. And what does it represent? It represents something that is light as a bird keeps you free of mobility. But at the same time, when necessary, when you get struck by an arrow or by, or by a sword, what happens? That's when all the links become rigid. And therefore, it is having the perfect balance between being what? Free as a bird, light as a bird, but at the same time, as rigid and as impenetrable as a mountain. SubhanAllah. Do we take the Qur'an seriously? This is just one perspective. I'm sure we can come up with more perspectives. But what I'm trying to demonstrate to you is that, for, unfortunately, most of us, we come across these ayat, we recite them. Oh yeah, story about Dawood and his son. Next. Story about him reciting, you know, uh, praising Allah. Next. Uh, he created chainmail. Okay, that's nice. SubhanAllah, we don't take the time to say, why? What, is, how, what does it have to do? How beautiful, how incredible the fact that these are covering three different realms of life. It's covering the social. Him 
dealing with society. The personal, the spiritual, the private, the artistic in the second. And then in the third, military. Three different realms of life. And in each one, he's demonstrating what? The balance between flexibility and rigidity. Because this is what a true leader is. Do we pay attention to this? Do we extract wisdom from this? Or do we just read it passively? And so therefore, the point that I want to close with, inshallah ta'ala, is what? Brothers and sisters, let's take the Qur'an seriously. Let's spend this year, and for the rest of our lives, inshallah, contemplating, thinking about, appreciating, talking about, reading about, discussing this wondrous, miraculous Qur'an. Treat it like it's truly what it is. Revelation from Allah for us to think about and appreciate every single line, extracting so much endless wisdom. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who appreciate this Qur'an. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen.